Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. And this is a sad psalm. Sometimes we don't like sad things, and yet we have to deal with them anyway. This psalm was written to be used during the Babylonian captivity, and probably by Jeremiah or some Levite. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, you know. Jeremiah said, Oh, that my head were waters, mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of thy people. And so he was called the weeping prophet. And the book of Lamentations was written by Jeremiah. Lamentations shows us a great deep sorrow and weeping. But in this Psalm 137, it says, Notice here in the very first verse, <clears throat> By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. You know, some of our most cherished privileges are not appreciated until they're gone from us. They remembered Zion, but they were taken into Babylonian captivity. Sometimes we, we have an old saying, we don't miss the water till the well's gone dry. Well, we don't miss God's blessings until we don't have them. And they were away from God's blessings and God's particular uh, care. He, he remembered them, but... And they remembered Zion, but they were weeping because of their captivity. If you remember in the book of Nehemiah, the Bible tells us concerning uh, the walls of the city being broken down. Let me read in Nehemiah 1 verse 3. It says, The wall of Jerusalem, the last part of the verse, also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. This is the message that came to Nehemiah. And it came to pass when I, that's Nehemiah, heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And he began to pray out of the sorrow of his heart. And well so. You know, there's something that may apply to our young people. In uh, the book of Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, it says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. We think, well, youth is full of joy and, and uh, energy and, and happiness and all the good things that happened to us while we're young. But it says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And we find that things do not always uh, continue as they are uh, when we're young and have all the, all the uh, strength of youth and all the blessings of youth. So that's why you young people should enjoy uh, your time when you're young. And first thing you know, well, you'll uh, look back on those days and say, it's almost like a dream that you were ever there. And uh, you better enjoy it while you have it. And also uh, to remember the Lord, because if you'll remember and start it out right and remember to live for God when you're young, then when you grow old, well, you'll be a happier person. And uh, so many people, they don't start out right. Uh, many of our men were in the service. You get started off in marching on the wrong foot and it's hard to skip a beat and get back in step. Well, that's the way with life, too. Life is that way. If you get started right as a little boy, a little girl, a young person, well, the first thing you know, you're in step and you're in step with God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all things will be added unto you, the things that you need. And uh, it'll just be a blessed life, a happy life. But if you get started off wrong and end up on drugs or alcohol or end up uh, doing things you ought not to do and uh, your conscience is smitten and in, inwardly uh, defiled and you feel bad and you fail to confess your sins to God and, and you continue in a rebellious state or, or a, a walking 
away from God, the first thing you know, sorrow, deep sorrow and trouble you'll face. And your life will be cut short. There will be many things that will happen. That happens so many times with our young people today. We have all these programs in our government today that, you know, they had a march on the Capitol the other day about uh, our children and young people. But you know, they're approaching it in the wrong way. They're wanting government to solve the problem. Government's not going to solve the problem. The church and the family, the husband, the wife, the mother and father, the boys and the girls, brothers and sisters, that's where the problem's going to be solved. It's not going to be solved out there by some politician getting on his uh, uh, stump there and announcing what all he's going to do because that government's limited in that respect. And, of course, all the programs that they plan, some of them are good. They try to do the best they can, but the answer is with the Lord. And we need to realize that. That's why our purpose as a church and as Christians, like Brother Nichols read in that poem, our witness before the world and our lives and what we stand for and how we promote the gospel and how we are kind and loving and caring for one another. And Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. What? If you have love one to another. And so that's the knowledge of it. Okay. Verse 2. It says, we hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. <coughs> music alone does not bring joy. Sometimes we have to hang up the musical instruments. And it does not bring joy if the Lord's providence is against us. And in their case it was. And sorrow had filled their heart because of it. See, they were being taken into captivity because of their sins, their rebellion against God and failing to trust God. And God had predicted that if they uh, rejected Him and they walked after their own ways, He'd, he'd let other nations take uh, charge over them. Many times God used heathen nations to correct and chasten His own people. Remember in the book of Ruth, where Ruth went down into Bethlehem, Judah? Let me read this for you. In book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. The Moabites were a cursed nation and people. He and his wife and his two sons. And you read the story. But anyway, when they came back to Bethlehem, Judah, I want to read verse 19. It says, So they went to until they came to Bethlehem. It came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, said Is this Naomi? You know what Naomi means? Pleasant. Is this that pleasant lady? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. She says, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. You know, when we go away from God, it's the wrong thing to do. Just because there was a little problem, they said, we're going to go the wrong, we're going to Moab. We'll find the greener pastures on the other side. You know, there's always folks that's looking for greener pastures. We have them all over the country today. Boy, if I could just move here or there, or yon, you know, grass is greener on the other side. It's not always the case. Sometimes, sometimes you're better off to stay put. You ever heard people say, well, when my ship comes in, I'm going to do so and so. And I've said before, it, all, it may already be docked. It may already be here. Your ship may already have arrived and you may have already tied up to the dock. So don't look for your ship to come in. Uh, just thank God that you have life and health and strength. Take it day by day. And by the way, money... And wealth is no answer to happiness. That doesn't mean happiness. Jesus said, Blessed are the what? poor in spirit. 
for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so happiness comes in other ways. And he gives you the Beatitudes and he tells you the whole story in Matthew chapter 5 of what it is to be blessed. Okay, let's look at the next verse. Hold your place where we're studying. Psalm 137. It says, For they, they that carried us away captive, look at this word, required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth. You know, when you're sad, it's pretty hard to laugh, isn't it? When you're sad, it's pretty hard to sing. But they required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Sacred music is not given to entertain the wicked. It's given for God's people to worship Him. The heart must be in tune with God before we can truly sing. Uh, We don't always feel like singing. Someone says, why don't you smile? Well, maybe I don't feel like smiling. You know, I smile when I feel like it. And I laugh when I feel like it. But you don't laugh when you're, when you're hurting. You ordinarily just feel a, a little different about it. And when God restores that joy and makes things better, and there are many sad things in life, that's why God gave us the, the ability to cry as well as to laugh. And so sometimes we do more. And sometimes we don't feel like the music and the song. And when, when someone just requires of us mirth, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, they say, now, you're in all this trouble. Aren't you going to laugh about it? Aren't you going to be happy about it? Not necessarily so. Are we? So, music alone is not the answer. And sacred music is not given to entertain the wicked. We have a lot of people nowadays that think that you can entertain people with sacred music. Sacred music is given when is for the heart that's in tune with God. Uh, let me read in Ephesians 5 verse 19. Look, listen at this verse. It says, speaking to yourselves, listen, to yourselves. Someone says, that guy talks to himself. Well, that's not so bad. The Bible says do it. Is it? Is it bad if, if God's Word says do it? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. In songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And then Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse uh, 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Listen, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So these scriptures tell us that the heart has to be in tune with God. Now then, hold your place in the psalm where we're studying. Look at verse 4. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Where we sing the Lord's song does make a difference, doesn't it? How shall we sing, how shall we sing the Lord's uh, song in a strange land? God's child cannot be ha- happy in the devil's land, the devil's world. I'm reminded of old, uh, the prodigal son. Remember the one son that ran away from home, took all his uh, inheritance. The Bible says when he had spent all, when he had spent all, they sent him into the hog pens to feed swine. And says, when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants have my, uh, my, have my father and bread enough to spare in my father's house? And he says, and here I perish with hunger. He said, I know, I'll rise and I'll go to my father. And I will say to my father, I've sinned against heaven and against thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he truly was not happy in that strange land, was he? The Bible says he went into a far country and spent all that he had with riotous living. He had a lot of friends when he was spending money. He had a lot of friends when he could treat them to everything and pay all the bills. You know, that's good. That'd get a lot of friends. But then, when you start out and 
and you're left without, where are those fair weather friends? The Bible says there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Jesus doesn't care how many, how much money we have or if we have none at all. The Bible says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich in heaven, rich with heavenly glory, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be made rich. And it doesn't mean in dollars and, and silver and gold. It means riches in the things of God. He'll give you the necessary things and He'll give you the finances as, the, as you have need of them and He'll bless you and He has uh, and he will. But he tells us that the riches are not to be measured in that way. Look at the next verse. It says, If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. We're more likely to remember the Lord in times of adversity than in times of prosperity. You know, a lot of people say, Well, you know, if God gives me all this, I'll sure remember to be happy and remember to pay my tithes and remember to go to church, remember to study my Bible, and I'll just be a number one Christian. I'll really try to live right. Sometimes it takes adversity to turn us around. There's a, an old saying that man's extremity is God's opportunity. When we come to the end of the rope, as Brother Randy used to say, tie a knot in it and hold on, because you have to depend on the God then to do the rest, don't you? You have to turn to God, and that's what we need to do. And we need to keep hope alive. The Bible says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us... Uh, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we have hope for us when we're in trouble to come boldly to the throne of grace. By the way, notice here it says, if I do not, if I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember thee, if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. You see, we need to remember God. We need to have a sacred memories. Of the things that are good, and the things that are holy, and the things that are godly. Sometimes memories help us, and keep us alive, and keep hope alive. We used to sing a song, Precious Memories, How They Linger. That's a wonderful song. Precious Memories. And the precious memories that we have of our uh, church history, our lives, uh, as boys and girls, and as children, as young people, as, as adults, and as we grow older, we remember the... Happy days in the house of God, in the Word of God, in the things of God, in the music of God, and, and the promises of God. All of these flood our souls. And uh, we have memories of loved ones that are gone. But we, we remember that when they died, they went to be with the Lord. And our memories are fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, children, various ones, memories. We have a lot of things that keep us going. But giving God first place, if I do not remember thee, look, let my tongue cleave to my, the roof of my mouth. If I pre prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy, our preference is God. Giving God first place at all costs is a sign of true repentance. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In the book of Jeremiah, I believe it's 29 verse 13. Let's see. Jeremiah. Well... How about Jeremiah chapter 2? We'll get this one. Verse 32 says, Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. So sometimes God's people do forget Him. And then Jeremiah 29, uh, in verse 13, it says, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. So God wants us to turn to Him wholeheartedly and seek Him first. 
Now the next verse, verse 7, look at it. It says, Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem who said, Arise it, rise it, even to the foundation thereof. The sin of Edom was to be remembered. Edom was jealous of their Jewish brethren. And they encouraged the enemy in their cruelty. There was cruelty that had come to them. And they encouraged the enemy in this. Proverbs 17.5 says, Whoso mocketh the poor reproacheth his maker. Now listen, And he that is glad at calamities shall not be unpunished. He that is glad at calamities. You know, sometimes when calamities or tragedy happens to someone, the first thing we think, I thank God that's not me. I mean, that's, that's the natural human response. that You know, that didn't happen to me. But then, a person that rejoices in the other person's calamities, he that is glad at calamities, shall not be unpunished. God says that that's the wrong attitude to have. When someone else is suffering, we ought to, to have mercy and compassion of, uh, upon them. But Edom was not that way of their Jewish brethren. In the book of Amos chapter 1 and verse uh, 11, it says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Now listen. Because he did pursue his brother with a sword, and did cast off all pity, and his anger did tear perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. God said that for three transgressions that they had committed, and the fourth turned the scales, tipped the scales, and he says... I'm going to punish Edom because of this. Their lack of sympathy and mercy and, and compassion. Look at the next verse. Verse 8. O daughter of Babylon, who art thou? Who art to be destroyed? God says they're going to come to their certain doom. Uh, happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. The doom of Babylon was certain to come and she would reap of her own kind of cruelty that she had sown. Nations reap what they sow as well as individuals. That's why we really need to fear for our nation. And we need to pray for our nation because we're going to reap what we sow. And we're already reaping it internally, but we may reap it from the outside too someday. Uh, Individuals reap what they sow. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And God says that's true of nations as well as individuals. There was a certain king. Let me see if I can read it. I was reading it yesterday, I think. The book of Judges, chapter 1. In verse 4, it says, Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their land, their hand rather, and they slew of them in Bezek 10,000 men. This was a judgment against these people. And they found Adonah Bezek in Bezek. And they fought against him and slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonah Bezek fled, and they pursued after him. Now listen carefully. And, and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his great toes, and Adonabezek said, Three score and ten kings have their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table. As I have done, so God hath requited me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. He had done this wicked, terrible, cruel thing to, to three score and ten kings. And as a result, it came back to him. The very same thing. You see... Sometimes your crop comes in, doesn't it? I mean, you start reaping the harvest. That's why we need to sow goodness instead of evil. And you'll reap that as well. The Bible says, He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So we need to sow right, and then we'll reap right. And whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We find 
that the doom of Babylon was predicted. And by the way, in the Bible, the doom of Russia is also predicted in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Not only Babylon, and by the way, there's a Babylon of the future in the book of Revelation. There's a political Babylon. There's an ecclesiastical Babylon and commercial Babylon that will all reap what they have sown in the book of Revelation in the latter part of the Great Tribulation when judgment comes and tribulation comes. Commercial Babylon, political Babylon, the kings, the, the merchants, it says, and then those that profess to be Christian, the uh, Christendom that's uh, gone into uh, apostasy, they shall all reap. And Babylon is predicted in the Bible to reap what they sow. Uh, in the last verse, notice, it says, Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. Wicked people delight in acts of cruelty. Even upon hopeless and helpless children. If we could get to the bottom of it, we have people today that delight in acts, acts of cruelty in our nation by the abortions that go on. And by the, the things that they talk about uh, walking in the capital for children. What about the babies? What about those poor little innocent ones that are taken before they're ever born? For no reason but in the cases of many for the sake of birth control. You're killing that little baby, that infant. And you know there have been many women that now their minds are disturbed because they've had those in their lives. And they look back and they think, well, you know, in spite of all the heartaches or problems, and maybe there have been difficulties with the situation, they still have it on their minds. And sometimes it's really driven them to insanity. Someone says, what's wrong with that person? You look back in their life and they may have aborted a child. That woman may have had an abortion in her life. And her mind is always disturbed about it. And, well, it should be. But to, the, to, the, to bring at least repentance and faith in God and, and making things right if it ever happens. And it should not happen. And, you know, we're not saying that they're not exceptions to all rules. There are in some cases, but I'm not going to even get into that. But that, those are so uh, minimal that it doesn't even pay to worry about it. Most of the time, that's not the case. If you have a young, young lady out here that's with child, uh, she should have that baby. And then make the things right. Whatever wrong has been committed, confess it to God. Get the family right with God and get the child brought up. The precious little child could not help it one way or another. That baby couldn't help it of what the father and mother of the baby did. If they out of wedlock or if they... Uh, if it was a sinful situation, whatever, whatever the circumstances, whatever the conditions, you and I should encourage young people, if they are in such a situation, to have the baby, to get their lives right with God, repent of sin, join in marriage vows, get the home straightened out, turn to God, and try to do the best they can to, though it started out wrong, to make it right. It can be made right. The Lord forgives, doesn't He? He said the woman that was caught in, in the act of adultery, he said, which of you uh, that is without sin, let him first cast a stone? And they all went away from the least to the greatest. And Jesus said to that woman, he says, go and sin no more. He said, don't do the same thing. Live a the different kind of life. Start out anew. So it can be made right. And so wicked people delight in acts of cruelty, even upon hopeless children. But God's people delight in mercy. Look at the next psalm. Psalm 138, if you will. Psalm 138. This is David's testimony. David's testimony. 
Wholehearted praise is due to the Lord. Look in the first clause of the first verse. It says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. You know, God doesn't want half-hearted anything. He doesn't want that. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and what? All that is within me. Not just a part of me. All that is within me, bless His holy name. And God wants wholehearted praise. Look at the last part of the verse. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee, a bold testimony before rival gods. David put devotion above diplomacy, and so did Paul. He wanted to put God first in all things. In Galatians chapter 1, let me read something for you. In Galatians, the first chapter, verses 8 through 10. We said God before diplomacy. Uh, Paul says, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel than you, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. First of all, he said in verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Then he says, which is not another. There's not but one, is there? There's not but one. They may try to uh, call it another gospel. But he says, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now then, the other gospel was taking the gospel of Christ and twisting it or changing it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, Brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. And what did he say about declaring the gospel? How that Christ, what is the gospel? He didn't say a part of the gospel. He said the gospel, the good news. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. How that He was buried. How that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The gospel is according to the Scriptures and it's concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it is that which makes us what we are as Christians. We believe on Him who was delivered for our offenses and raised for our justification. And that's the gospel. People try to complicate it, don't they? Paul said, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached. Unto you let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you let, let, uh, uh, than that you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? If I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. If we preach the gospel as it is, there's going to be some people who won't like it. But listen, thank God there's other people that will like it. Listen, God's people love to hear the old, old story. They love to hear it. For those who know it best, seems hungering and thirsting to hear it, what? Like the rest. Never changed. It's never changed. Someone said, we want a new gospel. Why well, I want a new one. The old one's the best you can ever have. The old ones of the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Uh, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It saves anyone who will believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. He said, I'm debtor, both to the Jew and to the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. So, look at this now. Back in our psalm, the second verse. I will worship toward thy holy temple. David had respect toward God's holy temple. And so did Solomon in the book of Kings. 1 Kings 8 verse 22. We must keep our eyes on God's holy temple. Jesus came and tabernacled or templed among us. And the Bible says we're to look, be looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then the second part of this second verse. 
and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Look at this. The nature of David's praise, this second clause. What three things? His loving kindness. We can praise the Lord for his loving kindness. Loving means he's kind in love. Loving kindness. And his truth. Notice that. And for thy truth. His truth is eternal and it's unchanging. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then he says, for thou hast magnified. Look at this statement, the last part of verse 2. It says, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Can you imagine that? Someone says, well, what value is God's word? God says his name is to be praised. Uh, the Bible says that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But he says here, I have magnified, he has magnified, thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Does God put great stock in his word? It looks to me like he does. When his name is to be praised above every name, when it, his name every knee shall bow, when at the name of God, uh, every tongue shall confess, and all to the glory of God, what? The Father? And then he says, Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You know why? Because it's that word that tells about the God that we're to magnify. You see, you wouldn't know to magnify God if you did not have the word that is magnified in order for you to know about God. The Bible says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. How would you know about the word that was in the beginning if the word of God didn't tell you in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God? No wonder God has put great stock in his written word as well as in his living word, which, who is Jesus. So, he tells about that living word, but this written word tells about the living word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He's the Creator. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. It says on down in John chapter 1, I believe it's verse 14, And the Word was made flesh that was in the beginning, that was an act of creation, that was spoken, that was with the Father, that was preexistent, and coexistent and self-existent in the beginning was the Word that's pre-existent. And the Word was with God that's coexistent. And the Word was God that's self-existent. Right? And then that Word was made flesh when Jesus was born. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The incarnation, we call it. The birth of Christ. Fathered by the Holy Spirit, born of Mary, a woman, a virgin, born of a woman. The Bible says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Okay, look, praise Him for His, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. I want you to notice the next verse. It says in verse 3, In the day when I cried... Thou answerest me. Look at that. In the day when I cried, thou answerest me, and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. David could speak from experience. When he cried unto the Lord, God answered him. You and I, when we cry unto God, he, he answers us. And we should be able to say from experience, In the day when I cried unto thee, when I cried, thou answerest me. 
Every child of God ought to know this. You know, there are a lot of things every Christian should know. I started to preach on that this morning. I was thinking about it. Seven things every Christian should know. But one thing we ought to know is that God does hear and answer prayer. You wouldn't be where you are today. You wouldn't have the blessings you are today, the deliverance you are today, the health you have today, uh, the uh, supply of your needs that you have today if God didn't hear and answer prayer. He has heard it and He's answered it and He supplied. And He will supply. And David recognized, in the day when I cried, thou answerest me. Jesus said, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. Right? He didn't say, if thou prayest. It's not a question of if, is it? But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And what? Thy Father which seeth thee in secret shall reward thee openly. He'll make it openly. He'll provide your outward needs, your uh, physical needs, and your needs in the community, whatever they are. Isn't it a great thing to depend upon God to bless you and to take care of you? Brother Randy was speaking a minute ago about walking by faith. That's not bad. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. He says, while we look not on the things which are seen, the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not on the things that are seen, because he says those things are temporal, but we look on the things that are not seen. How can a person look on things that he can't see? By faith. By faith. That's the only way. We walk by faith and not by what? Sight. And so we take God's promise for it. And the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. What is substance anyway? Faith is the substance. It's just as if you have it already. This is substance, isn't it? This is matter. But faith says that that matter is yours, that that substance is yours. The evidence, the title deed, the fact that it belongs to you of things not seen. And the Bible says without it, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. We believe that God is. We believe that his son is. We believe he sent his only begotten son to this world. We believe that he is also, that he is the rewarder of them that what? Diligently seek him. That's Hebrews 11 verse 6. Look at that again, the whole of the verse. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God, listen, must believe that He is. A lot of people say, oh, I believe in God. Do you believe He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe that He is God, all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-caring? Listen. And then, the second part. And that He is. There's not just one He is in that. And that He is the rewarder. That He not only is, but He will. That He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. That God will do it for you and I. You ever come to places in your life that you know if God doesn't do something that no one else can do it? And He's the one that can do it. He's able to deliver thee. And He's the great deliverer. The Bible says, He who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver. Okay. Delivered us. That's past tense. And doth deliver. Now listen in whom we trust that He will yet deliver us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Three stages, past, present, and future. If you want to pe- preach on the uh, past and present and future, take 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. You might throw in verse 9 first because it tells you the situation. But 
It says, who delivered us from so great a death. That's past. And doth deliver, present, in whom we trust. How did he deliver you first? By faith. In whom we trust. What's trust? Faith. In whom we trust that he shall yet deliver us. Future. He delivered us from the penalty of sin by his sacrificial death. He is delivering us, present, from the power of sin by his intercessory life. And he shall deliver us from the presence of sin by his second coming. The very presence of sin. The next verse. Our time's about gone. We'll get a verse or two and then close. Verse uh, 4. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when when they hear the words of thy mouth. Look at this. David's prophecy will come true that all rulers shall praise him. When will this prophecy be fulfilled? It says, Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. They shall sing. And when is this all going to happen? It says, Before him shall be gathered all nations. Matthew chapter 25, 30 and 31, 32. We already quoted earlier, Philippians 2, verse 11 and 12 says, At the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. That's when. When Christ comes again in power and great glory at the second coming of Christ, then all the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. They shall, Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord when His glory comes. There's going to be a day that, that all will bow before Him. Now, we have the privilege now. It says that now every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And there's going to come a time that every knee shall bow. It should and it shall. It should now and it shall then. So, you know, the Bible says, Jesus speaks of Himself and says, Whosoever falleth upon this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it shall grind him to powder. Right now, those that fall upon Christ in faith and trust Him, broken hearted, shall be broken Broken hearted because of sin? That's fine and dandy. Now's the time of repentance. But then, on whomsoever it shall fall, there's going to be a day that that stone, that rock, that Christ, who is the one that's going to judge, will have to fall upon others in judgment. It shall grind them to powder. There'll be a day of judgment coming. All right, look at the next verse quickly. It says, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. All, uh, a great God with a lowly spirit. He hath respect. It says, Though the Lord be high with a lowly, yet yet hath he respect unto the lowly. Unto the lowly. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, That's the rest he gives us when we come. If you labor and are heavy laden, if you're burdened down with sin, if you labor and are heavy laden with problems and trials and, and all the things that you can't face. And he says, I will give you rest. Come to Him by faith. Then He says, Take my yoke upon you. That's the next stanza. Next way. The next part of the verse. Take my yoke upon you. What's a yoke? Service. Indicates the, the yoke that goes on the oxen or the beast of burden. Take my yoke upon you. Serve. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Be a disciple of Christ. Learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. That's what I wanted to get to. See? Though the Lord be high, yet he hath respect unto the lowly. And then he says, For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The first rest he gives you. The second rest you find it by serving the Lord. The first rest is free by grace. Come unto me all ye labor and the heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Peace. 